not always easy being a Leafs fan, but our loyalty runs deep. We're just a couple of good Canadian boys who bleed blue and white. Win or lose, we're in, because for us, it's Leafs or bust. Welcome to the Leafs or Bust podcast. Hey, Leafs Nation. It is the Leafs or Bus podcast um, featuring myself, Michael Anthony, and uh, Leafs Twitter legend, Dirtbag Daddy. Um, Dirtbag, did you have anything you'd like to say to the folks before we begin here? No, just thank you for tuning in to our second episode of the Leafs or Bus podcast. Uh, we got some good topics to discuss for you guys today. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to just get uh, get right into it. Perfect. Uh, before we start, we'll uh, we'll shout out our sponsor, uh, Hooligan Fuel Hot Sauce. Four generations of flavor before the fire. You can find them at hooliganfuel.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash hooliganfuel, and on Instagram at at hooliganfuelhotsauce, all one word. So be sure to check them out. Um, Dirtbag, I've got uh, the primary thing I wanted to, to focus on today, uh, at least for, for topic, topic number one here. We've got uh, Matthew Kachuk. Have you heard the rumors? Uh, yeah, Mikey, I, I saw over Twitter that there were some rumors that Matthew Kachuk's unhappy in uh, in Calgary and uh, is potentially uh, looking to be moved out of there. Yeah, so so the original rumor came from a uh, former NHL defenseman, uh, Shane O'Brien. Uh, now, he was on Steve Coolius's podcast and he had mentioned uh, not only that Kachuk may want out of Calgary, um, but he actually may be looking to move to his hometown, St. Louis. Um, so if we ignored that part of things, there's been a lot of discussion on, on Leafs Twitter about that being potentially the guy to target if you're Kyle Dubas and, and you're you know trying to shake things up on the Leafs roster and acquire something that maybe you don't have. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on, you know, potentially what a guy like Matthew Kachuk could mean to the Maple Leafs lineup and, and whether you not, or whether or not you think it's a, uh, a feasible option for us here. I mean, I think every team in the NHL would love to have a guy like Matthew Kachuk. Uh, he's again, one of those classic uh, kind of Brad Marchand types where you love him on your team and hate him on the opponent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know, uh, being a Leafs fan this year, watching the Leafs play Calgary, uh, five or six times this year, uh, <laughs> Matthew Kachuk certainly got, uh, under my skin a bit. Uh, so he'd yep. be a player that I'd love to have on my team. Um, and I think he would bring kind of like, um, that elite pest element that the Leafs are kind of lacking in addition to physicality and, and goal scoring, which we know, uh, Matthew Kachuk, uh, obviously brings. I think he'd fit in perfectly on uh, the first line, uh, hypothetically. Oh, man. Could you imagine like a line that consists of Matthew Kachuk, Austin Matthews, and you know perhaps William Nylander? Um, obviously, if, if Kachuk's coming in, we have to subtract some salary from somewhere. Um, and I mean, the logical, you know, the odd man out in this whole scenario, I think, would probably be Mitch Marner and his $10.903 million cap hit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kachuk's bringing in 7.5 mil a year. So the math kind of adds up that if you can move out Marner for Kachuk, maybe another piece that would. Yeah, uh, I think, I think he's on with... 7 mil. Yeah, okay, even better. So 
that'd leave the Leafs with three million additional dollars to help fill out the roster, or closer to four, I guess, because uh, Mitch is pulling in ten nine. Um, right. And yeah, that just allows your roster to get a little deeper. Because I mean, like we've spoken about before, eleven million dollars or close to is a lot of money for a def- uh, for a winger, especially one that doesn't score goals. Yeah, I was actually spotted something online today um, stating that he's the second highest paid winger in the NHL and he hasn't scored a power play goal in something like 72 or 73 games. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. I'm not going to get too much in on, on Mitch Marner on this podcast, but I just, I just think, you know, he he got paid what he felt he was deserved. And I think the Leafs kind of got taken to the cleaners on that contract. Um to Mitch Marner has not shown to me since signing that contract that he's worth the value that uh, he signed for. But please, yes, back to Matthew Kachuk. Um, you know him and uh, him and Austin Matthew are are, are buddies. Uh, Matthews is good buddies with the Kachuk brothers. They came up in the U.S. Uh, national Development Team system. They played together at World Juniors. Um, probably see them at future Olympics. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I, I think um, in some world where uh, Kachuk was available to the Leafs. St. Louis rumors aside, I could see Austin Matthews maybe selling uh, his buddy Matt Matthew Kachuk uh, to, for coming over to Toronto and, and and doing some damage with Matthews on that first line. Oh, and absolutely they would. I mean, and if you did have William Nylander on that right wing, like you've le- legitimately have three top quality shooting threats on that one line. But where I kind of uh, I'm wavering a bit on this is whether or not he makes sense for Toronto, because if, for example, like if we are moving out the 10.903 on uh, on Mitch Marner's deal for the remaining four years, Matthew Kachuk only has the one year remaining. So coming into this season, he's got the one year and then he goes straight to RFA. And if he is serious about wanting to potentially go to St. Louis, my biggest concern is, is this going to be a holdout and trade demand scenario? Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that'll happen, especially if he has a chance to play with his, you know, his friend Austin Matthews, but never underestimate the, um, you know, the, the willingness of, of a guy to hold out because he wants to wind up in a certain destination either. And uh, the other possibility there is maybe he does re-sign in Toronto if he is acquired but he's certainly not going to be there you know for the length of time that Mitch would be there like maybe he wants to sign just long enough to walk him to unrestricted free agency so you get a few seasons in there with Matthews and Nylander or whoever's on that right wing and then all of a sudden you you know you've made some more money and you've you've played with your buddy and now maybe you want to play at home yeah, I mean, if you look down the road, you can come up with all sorts of you know scenarios with contracts and preferred destinations and and things of that nature. But I mean, look, if if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you need to win now. the The time to win now was two seasons ago, and now <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. and now we're into year whatever it is of of the Shanna plan, year five or year or year six. You have to. Well, I guess it would be year seven because Shanahan's yeah. been here since 2014. I mean, he had a lot of tearing down to do, but it's like now's the time that we have to start winning. And, you know, I look at, I see comparable with Mitch Marner's situation to the DeMar DeRozan situation with the Toronto Raptors, where you had for better or worse, a beloved uh, franchise player who just for one reason or another, just couldn't get it done with that team. 
And Masai Ujiri took a massive gamble uh, by trading away the fan favorite, uh, DeMar DeRozan, who, who professed how much he loved the city of Toronto. They brought in Kawhi Leonard and they won. They won now. And mm-hmm. whatever happens with the Raptors over the course of the next season, two or three seasons with Kyle Lowry, et cetera, um, the fans, I mean, as a Raptors fan myself, I don't care. They won a championship. You can't take that away from us no matter what happens with the Raptors going forward. And that's the, that's what the Leafs' mindset needs to be because, Mikey, we've talked about this before. If the Leafs don't do damage in the playoffs next season, everyone that wears a suit in that organization is going to be looking for a new job. I'm talking Keith. Yeah. I'm talking Dubas. And I'm probably talking Shanahan too because there is impatience um, at the highest level of Maple Leaf sports and entertainment that they've seen their investments in the Raptors, in Toronto FC, and to a lesser extent, the Toronto Argonauts uh, pay off. And their biggest investment uh, in the in the Maple Leafs so far has not paid any dividends. Yeah, and I mean, the Matthew Kachuk thing, I'm, you know, you look at his stats from going back to 2018, 2019, he had 34 goals and 43 assists for 77 points in 82 games. If that's the guy you're bringing in, I mean, it's going to be very, very hard to botch that considering all of the other, you know, peripheral aspects of his game that he brings in. Like you said, he's that pest. He's up in your face. He's drawing penalties. He's getting under the skin of the opposition. You know, he's he's right a, around the net and, and pissing off goalies. And um, so I think in a lot of, areas like he does improve for sure that top line um and you know the team overall um but moving into 2019-20 there was a slight reduction in in production there with just 61 points in 69 games uh 23 goals but again um you know covid and all that so that has to come into play um the biggest concern that i have with a guy like matthew kachuk though 2020 and 21 he only had 16 goals and 43 points in 56 games. So, you know, the trending in the wrong direction could have a lot to do with maybe him being unhappy in Calgary and and everything that's going on there that, you know, behind the scenes that we might not be privy to. Uh, I know for sure that he was really pissed off in with the Jake Muzzin incident where the puck was flipped at him. And, uh, you know, he turned around to engage Muzzin and he was mucking it up with the Leafs and a lot of his teammates skated off. And you could tell he was very, very frustrated with that whole ordeal um, just by his reaction on the way back to the bench and, you know, throwing stuff around and, you know, hitting water bottles and sticks and all that. Um, But the main concern that I have is if we're looking to win now, this is a guy that's got five points in 15 career playoff games. So, you know, if you're looking for postseason production, you know, we're, we're talking about it with Matthews and with Marner right now. Um, do we really need to add another guy into the fold who, you know, maybe isn't as productive as as you would think um, just by bringing up his name without having looked at paper? I mean, I don't put too much stock in Matthew Kachuk's numbers declining because the Calgary Flames have declined over the last couple of years. I mean, there's talks about a full-blown rebuild in Calgary as well. Um, you know, you're only as good as, as, as your team is when you're kind of an accessory piece like Matthew Kachuk. I don't expect Matthew Kachuk to carry his own line. I expect Mitch Marner to carry his own line. And mm-hmm. again, not to get too much into Marner. Marner has not carried his own line. But if you get Kachuk on a line with Matthews and a Nylander, 
two players who are excellent at driving play, then that allows Matthew Kachuk not maybe not to feel like he has to be the guy uh, yeah. to get things done. Like maybe he has uh, on his line in, in, in Calgary. Uh, they've done all sorts of uh, switching around of players uh, w- with their lines in Calgary. Um, for years, it was Monaghan, Goudreau, Lindholm, and they broke that up. Uh, they've had um, Backlund move around. They've had Manjapane move around. Uh, in Calgary, it just seems like uh, two entities, the team and the and the player, Matthew Kachuk, have just gone in, in different directions. And I'm glad you brought up the Muzzin thing because you know none of his teammates backing him up uh, sends a message to me that you know, there, there's perhaps some sort of rift in that, in that locker room and it would be better for both the flames and, and Matthew Kachuk to, uh, to go their separate ways and do what's best mm-hmm. for both the organization and the player. Yeah. Kind of avoid a messy outcome there. I mean, it, it, it is already getting a little messy if he reportedly wants out, but it's not in the public eye yet. Um, at least not in the way that, you know, it should be if a player of that caliber just comes forward and says, get me out of here. Yeah, but I mean, you Calgary- can they brought, they spent a lot of money to bring in Brandon Tanev and, and Jacob Markstrom and things did not go how they expected at, at Johnny Goudreau's rumors that he's been unhappy. He's looking or at Chris to leave. Tanev. Yeah. 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 I, I see what you mean here. Did I say Brandon Tanev? Yeah. I meant Chris Tanev. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, but yeah, things, things have not been uh, smooth sailing in Calgary and uh, that could be a very different looking team uh, next season. And, and, and so could the Leafs. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a valuable point too with uh, with the whole, you know, Matthews being the guy on that line if Kachuk was to come over. So two things. Um, one, maybe Matthew Kachuk comes to Toronto. He gets a feeling of what it's like to not be the guy and he's kind of a secondary piece and he can go about his business, you know, like like only Matthew Kachuk really can and get under the skin of the opposition and, and create some havoc in front of the net. Um and, and maybe that makes him feel a little better. And maybe he does want to re-up in Toronto knowing that it's not all on him and that somebody else, you know, has that responsibility of driving that line. And, you know, Kachuk maybe could be a bit more of a passenger and can have a little more fun in, in that aspect of things. Um, and uh, the second thing, um, I drew a blank right there. I had two things that I wanted to say about that comment, but... Uh, but I mean, we'll leave it at that with the whole Matthews thing, because if if he is driving the line, like I said, you know, Kachuk may not feel as much pressure, may be more inclined to re-up here. And if the second point comes back to me, I'll I'll revert back to that. But well, the other thing too to consider with Matthew Kachuk is if he if hypothetically he were to be traded to Toronto and Toronto has success, and I mean they go to a conference final or they go to a final, uh, that would prove to Matthew Kachuk that his best chance to win is here, maybe not in St. Louis. Uh, yeah. St. Louis is an aging roster. I know it's his hometown, but when you're when you're a young guy like like Matthew Kachuk, um, you may be looking to win and win in a big city. Uh, I can't speak too much to St. Louis's nightlife, but I know when when Toronto is not impacted by a global pandemic, it's a great place to play. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to do around here for uh, for a young man uh, with uh, with young teammates. So you know you can you can sell him on staying, but with your with his buddies on the team with the nightlife but the the best way you're going to convince anyone to stay is to win be it right. Matthew Kachuk or whomever um when it comes down to uh, offer Austin Matthews a new contract Matthews mm. is going to look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and say is this a place either that a I have one or b I can continue to win and if That's the Leafs point. yeah if the Leafs continue to struggle and not 
at least try to do something different to have some success and they continue to fail, um, then you're not going to even be selling your current roster on, on the, on them winning here versus rather than talking about bringing in new players to say, Hey guys, come win in Toronto. And then, well, you can't, yeah. and then you're going to have your, your star players who are up for new contracts thinking to themselves, Hmm, well, I haven't won here either. Sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the whole Matthews thing, um, you know, we'd be looking at potentially having Mitch Marner leave and then you, you know, you consider how close him and Matthews are and, and maybe that's a scenario now where you have to worry about losing Matthews because you've lost Mitch. Maybe bringing in a Matthew Kachuk kind of tides Matthews over a little bit and maybe wins him over in that uh, now he does, you know, he went from having one best friend in town to bringing in another one of his best friends in town <laughs> soften some of that impact there. And I remember what my second point was uh, a few minutes ago there is if you have a Matthew Kachuk on the team, who's obviously close with Austin Matthews, good friends, they hang out in the off season, they train together. If you have Matthew Kachuk on that line with Austin Matthews doing his Matthew Kachuk things, how much does that rub off on Austin Matthews? And maybe you see a little bit more of that, um, you know, stir it up, you know, pest mentality. And maybe, you know, Matthews is a freaking rocket Richard trophy winner. He doesn't, he's not paid to be a pest, but maybe it brings something out of him knowing how much fun and seeing how much fun his buddy Matthew Kachuk is having. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That, that's a great point because you do see how the impact of certain players can rub off on, on their teammates. Um, and just to refer to earlier in, in the, in the regular season, uh, in regards to Wayne Simmons, when, when when Wayne Simmons was playing effectively for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the players said that they felt that they could play bigger and play tougher because they had someone who could, you know, kind of back them up. Uh, and the same would go for a guy like a, like a Matthew Kachuk, a guy who is more physical, is more of a pest. Uh, and he, I think he would inspire that uh, that kind of confidence in, in his teammates and his line mates to maybe go out, play a little bigger, play a, a little bit more of an irritating game. Yeah, bro. Matthew's there to is or Matthew Kachuk is there to kind of back him up and show him the way. Like, do you remember Simmons after that first fight against Ben Sherratt when he turned around to the bench and started raising his hands up and everybody was just all fired up? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the players even said post game that 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 fight was the was the spark for them to yeah. to come back and win that. Uh, uh, win or you know, I'm thinking of the first game of the year. Sorry. It, it might have been the first game, or it might have been like pretty soon thereafter. I don't okay. know if it was the first game, but it was. It was very, the first game. We, the Leafs were losing, I think, three to one. Simmons got in a fight with Ben Sherratt. Right. Bench was all fired up. Came he back and won back. the game at OT, and then the players in the post game interview were saying that that fight was the turning point. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about those energy guys that come in and just have that ability to to change the outcome of the game or the feeling of the game, which in turn changes the outcome of the game and provides that uh, that necessary energy to reach that next level. And I mean, that could very well be the missing link um, as far as success in the playoffs for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, you know, despite Kachuk's performance in his own right, yeah, maybe he only has five points in 15 games in the playoffs, but, you know, maybe his presence triggers Matthews, which in turn gives him some residual points. Like if he's you know, popping in secondary assists or, you know, causing chaos in front of the net. Matthew shoots, it goes in off Kachuk. There's a goal for, for Chucky. So 
Yeah, I mean, and another thing before we move on, but you know, if you're going to lose Zach Hyman, who is kind of like a sandpaper guy, if you bring in a guy like Matthew Kachuk, uh, you're you're filling that role and then some because Kachuk is more of an instigator, more and more of a, a goal scoring talent, but also brings to the table some of the abilities that we would be losing with Zach Hyman going elsewhere. Because as it stands. Right. Who's on that top line right now to be that bulldog? Yeah, there's At really moment, no, nobody. Like unless they re-sign Nick Felino, because him, him and Matthews and Marner had very good chemistry immediately after the uh, Felino acquisition. But, but yeah, I agree with you, man. There's really nobody else even on the roster that is. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't say that's capable of doing that. I think it's more, you know, somebody who. Like nobody really has that in their current game. Like people can bring that if they so choose, but nobody really does. Right. And and do it at a high level. I don't mean like an Adam Brooks or, or a Joey Anderson who could play like a sandpaper game that's more tailored for a fourth line. I mean right. a, a first line kind of bulldogger. Your Zach Hyman's, your Matthew Kachuks, your Travis Konechny's, guys of that kind of ilk who can kick it with uh elite talent but also bring an element of physicality and energy. Up, yeah. Um, those are hard to come by. And, you know, if the Leafs are going to lose Hyman, you're going to have to look at replacing that. And Kachuk would be an elite option uh, when it comes to those uh, kind of high-end, uh, pesky offensive players. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, really a lot of that, uh, you know, comes from, just having that desire to win, like you were saying, nobody is is going to come to Toronto if they think or know that they're going to lose. People are going to come here because they see potential to do great things in the postseason. And I think, you know, a guy like Matthew Kachuk, I flip-flopped on it myself and what my opinion of it is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of points that, you know, kind of are in Kachuk's favor as to why he could come here and be successful. And I mean, he would be an immediate fan favorite. So. I mean, absolutely. Look at this market has uh, embraced players like, you know, Darcy Tucker and Kadri, Ty Domi um, guys who play with their heart on their sleeve and who, who give it 110% every shift. Uh, Those guys are, are embraced here for better or for worse. I think Kachuk would, uh, fall right in line with uh, kind of those guys. And those are the guys that coaches love, man. Absolutely. <laughs> so and on that, on that, I think, uh, did you, did you have a last point to make before we move on here? No, I was just going to say, and those are the players that opponents love to hate opposing okay. fans love to hate. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and the opposition fans too, right? Like if you've got Kinchuk on the road and you know, he's in fucking wherever he could be even in Calgary, and you're going back there for the first time and you're coming in with a chip on your shoulder. So, I mean, think of all the times Brad Marchand has drove us crazy. And then now we <laughs> could have someone to drive people crazy. It would be we nice. We could have somebody to drive, drive Brad Marchand crazy. Oh, wouldn't that be a great matchup? He's not going to be licking times a year. Shots, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, for as far as the segue goes, uh, you know, something I mentioned about uh, coaches loving those types of players and uh, I wanted to move into our, our next segment here, and we're going to dub this one the uh, the Hooligan Fuel Hot Sauce Hot Topic. And this is going to be Sheldon Keefe and the coaching staff of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there's definitely been a lot of chatter on Twitter, uh, all over social media, on whether or not 
a guy like Sheldon Keefe deserves to, you know, have another chance and, and stay here uh, or, or whether, you know, Kyle Dubas and, and Brendan Shanahan should come together and have a discussion because what was working in the regular season is not working in the postseason. Um, curious to, to hear what your thoughts on Sheldon Keefe are. And uh, do you agree with, you know, the population that uh, suggests that maybe it's time to move on from Sheldon Keefe, just 103 games into his, his NHL coaching career? I mean, right off the bat, I'll say that I don't agree with, uh, with removing Sheldon Keefe presently. But I will say that I think he is on the hot seat going into this season. Yeah. And, and Mike, you, you and I have talked about this before. If the Leafs were to come out of the, the gate next season, ice cold, and were to start the year on a one and seven or one and eight or what have you, then I think Sheldon Keefe's job could and should be on the line. Um, you know, I've had discussions with friends and, and, you know, we, we look at the Atlantic division and we ask ourselves, can the Leafs even make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. You look at Boston, Tampa Bay, and now Florida, um, you know, Montreal's uh, Montreal's uh, voodoo magic team. I don't, I don't know what they're going to bring next year. Ottawa's young and hungry um, and always seems to play us hard. If the Leafs were to miss the playoffs next year, and Sheldon Keefe's gone. Like Sheldon Keefe is out. Has, I'm sorry, he has to be gone. Uh, I like Sheldon Keefe. Uh, he's been with the organization a long time. He, he's won everything there was to win with the Toronto Marlies. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's a what have you done for me lately business in the NHL and, and, and no more so of a market than Toronto. Um, you know, and Sheldon Keefe's done well here. I think he has the highest winning percentage in the regular season of any coach in Leafs history. He does. So- and that was like, it was a, uh, that was a hot topic in and of itself. So I was on Twitter. I posted, um, you know, something about, uh, I'd have to, let me look up the actual tweet because it got a lot of responses and, uh, generated a lot of really good discussion in my opinion, but I'll go back and I'll find it and I'll read it out here. Um, so, but I get just, just to my point is you can only rest on those regular season laurels for so long before it fans and organizational, us, uh, people in the organization start asking, well, what have you done for me in the playoffs? Cause you know, right. this isn't, this isn't European soccer where you win the championship by winning the regular season. We have a playoff system here and you can right. win the president's trophy. You can have a 120 point season. But if you lose in the playoffs, those achievements are tainted in a way you have to come and perform in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like the, the whole playoff thing, I don't buy that you can make up your mind on a guy who's only played 12 playoff games. Like his record is five and seven. It's not like it's, you know, one and 11. He's, he's right on the cusp of something and he has a lot of regular season success. And I have a hard time with, you know, putting it all on the coach because a lot of it is pressure on the players to do something that hasn't been done in a long time. And I think that the players know that and they take a lot of heat for that. So you know, I don't necessarily buy, you know, the like buy into that theory that you can just go ahead and and you know fire a, a coach because you're not having postseason season success when he's not even really been given that much of an opportunity yet. And again, that's why I say if the Leafs come out next year and they make the playoffs and they go to round three, then I think Sheldon Keefe secured his job for the next two seasons at least. But if they come out losing the first round again, then. It, 
you got to go. He's got to go. In my opinion, everyone's yeah. got to go. If, if they go out in the first round again next year, then just can them all, man. Like I've, I've had enough. Um, it's a very green crew on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm not talking about green because they just have young players. Sheldon Keefe is a first time head coach. Um, Kyle, Kyle Duke is a first time GM. Brendan Shanahan is a first time president Brendan. of hockey operations. These are all guys who have started their career with the Toronto Maple Leafs in those respective roles. And, you know, we can go back and forth on what the right direction for the Toronto Maple Leafs is, but there's just a part of me that says maybe the Leafs would be a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs who are so revered in the center of the hockey universe and all this would not be, would benefit more with veteran staff. I mean, a veteran GM, veteran coach, a veteran president of hockey ops. And I know people might turn to me and say, Oh, well they have Lamorello and Babcock. But those just might have been the wrong veterans for a team like this, or the right guys at the wrong time. Like, like I, exactly, I'm yeah. not. I'm not a big fan of Mike Babcock and and his, you know, the way he goes about his business, um, specifically after the the whole list incident emerged, because I couldn't imagine, you know, being that guy that took a fresh young rookie and soured him on the organization almost instantaneously. But I but I did find the tweet, and I'll go back and I'll read it here. Uh, so I just said to the folks who think that Sheldon Keefe needs to be replaced, he put up a 0.66 or 0.688 uh, points percentage with the Leafs this season, the highest of any coach in Maple Leafs history. You don't have to like him or his methods, but don't uh, ignore his results because that's dumb. And it sparked a lot of freaking debate, dude, like a lot, like more so than I've ever had on my personal uh, Twitter account. And a lot of fair points were made. And a lot of unfair points were made. Um, the one that I took the most issue with is the people saying that Sheldon Keefe got outcoached by a rookie coach <laughs> in Dominic Ducharme in Montreal. Now, like, I don't necessarily, like, I don't dislike Dominic Ducharme in the least bit. I, I think he's, you know, an excellent young coach. He's showing that. Um, but do I think he outcoached Sheldon Keefe in that series where they lost in almost every major hockey metric available for the first six games? Absolutely not. Like, I don't buy it for a second because Dominic Ducharme does not come in to a situation in Montreal as a, you know, like you're saying, a green head coach and tell Carey Price how to be better. Like, <laughs> that's, I don't get that. I don't get it because for me, out coaching a guy, you can argue, yeah, you know, Sheldon Keefe didn't play the whole matchup game. He didn't need to play the matchup game. Sheldon Keefe was winning that matchup. I mean, I guess both coaches, you could argue, were winning the matchup because with the Dano line out, Matthews and Marner weren't scoring. But at the same time, with Matthews and Marner out on the ice, the Habs didn't score one goal in the entire series. Whereas at least Matthews and Hyman put two in. So, I mean, they're on the winning end of that it is marginal and you know maybe anecdotal i get that but you can't sit there and tell me that a guy who barely made you know any real noticeable changes outside of inserting cole caulfield into the lineup after what did he sit the first two or first three games and then he was inserted i mean honestly like and and i look at the whole thing and think like if john Tavares is playing the leafs win that razor close game one for sure 
And then they went on to win two, three, and four without him. So I have to believe that a point per game guy and your captain is going to carry you, you know, through that series, through those next three games uh, on top of that. So I, I don't buy that. I'm curious to hear what you think about the the prospect that Sheldon Keefe was out coached by Dom Ducharme, but but I don't buy it personally. No, I think it's I think it's BS. Dom Ducharme did not out coach Sheldon Keefe or the Toronto Maple Leafs. Dom Ducharme was the beneficiary of the Montreal Canadiens injuring our captain and point per game player. I mean, we could go into that another time, but they were the beneficiaries of it. And Mikey, yeah. I've said this to you as well. It, after the, the dust and the horror has settled with the John Tavares incident, you don't think Dom Ducharme was looking at his matchups and thinking, wow, this just got a lot easier. Oh, hell yeah. And they were the beneficiary of a horrific injury, um, two overtime games where the Habs scored two lucky goals, and I'm going to call them lucky goals. And I don't care if anyone has a problem with me calling them that. They were. Uh, an atrocious giveaway by Alex Galchenyuk uh, that led to a goal, and then a deflection off uh, of Zach Bogosian. And, and once the Habs tied the series, it was over. I mean, I didn't have the Leafs winning game seven after blowing those two games. Yeah. Uh, and then the Habs came out and uh, they dominated us in uh, in Game Seven, and, and and that's all she wrote. And that was the series. Um, where do I think Sheldon Keefe could have been better? I mean, it's hard when John Tavares, your captain's hurt. Nick Foligno, your big uh, trade deadline acquisition, was in and out of the lineup. Jake Muzzin got hurt. Uh, your power play was uh, an embarrassment to the sport of hockey. Uh, <laughs> do I think he could have done more with the power play? Um, Yes, but I don't know too much about the how that coaching room looked. Um, I thought Malhotra did an abysmal job with the power play dating back to the regular season. Yeah. Uh, and nothing was done about it. Uh, whether that's a failure of Sheldon Keefe or a failure of Kyle Dubas. Uh, again, I don't have any kind of special insight into the Maple Leafs organization. But I had that power play been clicking... They would have won that series and we wouldn't be having this conversation. I do. I want to touch on that power play comment because in my opinion, so Sheldon Keith was stuck between a rock and a hard place there because in whatever, if you want to say even in the middle of the series, if he knew that the power play wasn't clicking the way it should be, even in game three, if you as Sheldon Keith go in and take away the power play from Manny Malhotra, you may as well just fire him. Do you know I what mean, I mean? What is Joe Thornton doing on power play one? Like <laughs> we're here, we're a month later and I'm still mad about things like this. Like why is Wayne Simmons on the power play? Like who's making these personnel decisions? Yeah. This is why is, Ultra, like, and- why is William Nylander not on power play one? Like, yeah, it, it's just a colossal failure from the Leafs coaching staff, whether it be Malhotra or, 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 but if you're Sheldon Keefe and this is your team, you're the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're seeing this power play go out over the boards and embarrass themselves mm-hmm. every single game. You have to do something. Right. And that's the point that I wanted to make, because basically, if you whatever you do, whenever you do it, if you go in there and take the power play away from Manny Malhotra, that's why he's in Toronto. So if you take that away, you basically just fire him on the spot because you don't need, you know, whatever he brings to the table or, or whatever he offers. Because if you're Sheldon Keefe and you have to take over that position in the playoffs, I mean, you're not just going to randomly give... Malhotra the power play back in game two so then what is he or well game four whatever the game would be what is he actually doing then well let him coach the penalty kill let him coach face-offs the only two things that Malhotra was good at in his (laughs) career 
was a penalty kill and was face-offs. Why, why, what did the Toronto Maple Leafs see in a career bottom six guy that thought, hey, this guy could coach a power play? The guy never played on a power play. That's you know what, what drives me absolutely crazy about this whole Malhotra thing was it was just a complete oversight by management and by Keith picking his staff. And I know Malhotra was well, was sought after, but maybe he was sought after for his strengths, which are penalty killing and face-offs. He should have never been handed this power play. You know, he shouldn't have been allowed to continue with it after the regular season struggles. Do you know what, what the main factor there was? Is he came in with a reputation as being very good with young players. And I think if he did have power play success, I don't know what his numbers were like in Vancouver or if he had anything to do with the power play in Vancouver at all. But, um, but if he's coming in, having this reputation, being good with younger players, you got him in boatloads in Toronto. So, you know, again, it doesn't make any fucking sense that he was putting Joe Thornton on that power play after it hadn't worked for so long. But at the end of the day, like this guy is coming in with a reputation for having, you know, good, good, uh, rapport with young players and he can get the most out of these young guys. And he did to a point for the first, say third of the season. I don't know exactly what the number of games were where they were near the top of the NHL on the power play, but when it stopped working and when people caught on to what Toronto's game plan was and implemented, you know, the, the best counter to it and there were no adjustments made, I think, you know, they should have probably looked at firing Manny Malhotra even toward the end of the season and bringing in a veteran coach, right? I mean, Am I wrong there? No, you're absolutely right because the Leafs had that division locked up two-thirds of the way through the season. And if you know that the power play, you know, they had that streak where they didn't score in like 13 games. And it's yeah, like, it like at this team, yeah, if you're looking at this team and you're like, okay, well, I have 20 games until the playoffs. Either A, I can keep letting Malhotra beat this dead horse and hope that it clicks, or B, I could go out and get a new coach for the power play and let him use the time that we have and these 20 so odd games to prepare a new power, a new look power play for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And those are your options. And they stuck by Malhotra and it bit them in the ass because and it that appears power play outside of game two stunk. Yeah. And it appears like they're sticking with him again this off season. Well, okay, so great. So the Leafs will come out on fire on the power play to start the first 10 games. Then it'll dry up, and then we'll all stand around and shrug our shoulders and say, oh, we've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. So, yeah. Okay, so we're going to be right back where we are because this has happened before. This happened with um, uh, McFarlane under Babcock. Power play started uh, blazing hot. Then people figured it out. No adjustments were made. I mean, it's the same story. It is, yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's one of those situations where for me and for you, it makes a lot of sense. But for Kyle Dubas and, you know, all of the other powers that be that have to discuss it, there are, there is a lot of for and against um, going on. And maybe there's things that are being brought up and things that we don't know that, you know, are favor keeping Malhotra over bringing in somebody with a little more veteran savvy. And, and like I say veteran savvy, but I mean, the Leafs have that, too. They've got Paul McLean and they've got Dave Haxtell in Toronto, which are two veteran coaches in their own right anyway. So, I mean, there were options. I mean, if they wanted to swap the power play in the PK, but the PK was, was doing pretty well for Toronto. So if Haxtell was running a, uh, you know, a good PK unit, there really was no sense in 
pulling him away from that to, to run the power play. I mean, I mean, it, don't get too ahead of yourself, Mikey. That PK stunk during the regular season. I think it was bottom yeah. 10 in the league and it cleaned itself up in the playoffs and until the, the very end of the playoffs when we needed the power. Mm-hmm. The penalty yeah. kill to really stand up uh, and they started to crack um, and special teams. Hey, for better or worse, uh, special teams was the Toronto Maple Leafs undoing in the playoffs. People yeah. can talk about depth scoring and the star scoring uh, and injuries, but it was special teams. The Leafs power plays clicking, regardless of John, if John Tavares is in the lineup. The power plays clicking, the Maple Leafs win that series in five or six. Yeah, uh, can't argue with that. And I honestly think they, with with JT in the lineup, they sweep that series. Montreal doesn't even get one game, and and then we're having a different conversation. But, but yeah, going back to the whole Dominic Ducharme out, out coaching Sheldon Keith thing, like Sheldon Keith is not responsible for an OT OT giveaway from Galchenyuk in Game Five. He's not responsible for an OT giveaway from Dermott in Game Six, where they were out shooting the Habs thirteen to two. Oh my God! Like Toronto yeah. outshot Montreal two forty to one ninety four in that series. Yeah, they outscored them eighteen to fourteen, and they outshot <laughs> them in every single game except for Game Four, where the shots were thirty two to twenty eight in favor of Montreal. And the Leafs won that game in a shootout. And it, a, it, and does it a make 20, any sense to you, Mikey? Does no, and a 29-29 draw in yeah. uh, Game Three, uh, where Thanks. Toronto also walked away with the victory, and it was a, and it was a lopsided win in that one as well. When's the last time you can remember a team losing a playoff series where they scored more goals and had more shots? Like if like, this is just not the most. It's least so Toronto, ever. like it's so overwhelmingly Toronto. Where it's like everything can more or less go your way, and then you still find a yeah. way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. All I will say, dude, to close off this segment is that Dominic Ducharme didn't get out there in OT in Game Six and rob Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews on the two-on-one. That was Carey Price. <laughs> or what was that? Was it Game Game Five where M- Mikheyev had a tap-in on an empty net, and uh, he fanned on it? So I mean. Can you pin that on the coach? I mean, probably not. The players still have to perform, right? Whether you're Galchenyuk or Dermot or Bogosian or Mikheyev finishing on a empty net, you know. Yeah, you got to convert on those chances. I don't think there's anybody arguing there. I think a lot of it for me in, in sitting on this for weeks, it all comes down to the amount of pressure that was on everybody to do the thing this year. And I think... When three they were games up, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, when they were here's the here's the main point though. When they were up three games to one, the pressure to do the thing pretty much kind of went away for the Leafs because they had already like said in their minds, you know, this is a three one series, we have this in the bag. And you know, yeah, they, they didn't necessarily let up so much at the end of games five and six, but they did let up early in games five and six. And that was the difference because they were behind in both games. Mm-hmm. They surged back to tie. They forced OT. They had all of the momentum. And then it's two random fucking giveaways that cost the Leafs games five and six. And, you know, game seven, like you were saying, you said it yourself a few minutes ago that once it got to game seven, you knew the series was over. Yeah, I mean, any anyone who tells you regardless of the sport, whether it's hockey or baseball or football or whatever it is, anyone that tells you that um, momentum doesn't exist, that it's not real, 
doesn't know what they're talking about. And, you know, anyone can talk about um, advanced stats, whether it's advanced basketball stats or advanced hockey stats or sabermetrics in baseball. You cannot quantify momentum and it exists. It's a feeling. Uh, And you can ask any athlete, whether they're a boxer, a tennis player, soccer player, whether they ride horses, doesn't matter. F1, NASCAR. Momentum exists. Mm -hmm. And when you have the momentum going for you, you're unstoppable. Look how the Habs have ridden ridden the momentum from that um, uh, first round series against the Leafs. They've ridden it to within one game of the Stanley Cup final. Again, yeah, they swept yeah. the Jets, and yeah. now uh, they're uh, they're playing Vegas, and they're holding Vegas in check. Don't tell me momentum isn't real. We've seen this with Cinderella teams before, and yeah. momentum works in the opposite way. You get in your own head. We saw it with the Maple Leafs. We saw it in the opening of Game Six when they had. 2000 fans uh, at the bell center (laughs) and the Leafs looked like they were like they were five years old playing against men, you know, bro. Can you believe though, that Montreal is doing this with only 3,500 fans in the stands at the bell center now? Like they've got no, like they've got some crowd participation to draw off of, but not, they don't have that, whatever it is, 17,000 people's worth of energy to, to draw from in those games. They're doing that specifically for the reason that you stated. They brought the momentum into the series and they haven't let up. Yeah, no, they're, they're feeling themselves and rightfully so. I, I mean, I don't, I don't fault Montreal for, for being confident in themselves because they've just shown throughout the playoffs their ability to kind of stick it to the critics yeah. uh, and to play for each other. Uh, and I'm still waiting to see that from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I've not seen them play for each other in the in all these years. Very, very true, my friend. Very, very true. So on that note, uh, again, we'll shout out our sponsor, uh, Hooligan Fuel Hot Sauce. And that's four generations of flavor before the fire. Um, that concludes that segment. And uh, we'll move on to goalies because this is another uh, you know popular topic amongst uh, Leafs Nation where – Nobody really is sure about what's going to happen next season. Um, we know that Jack Campbell is signed for $1.65 million through next season. Uh, and we know that the Leafs still have the opportunity to negotiate a deal with Frederick Anderson, who they will retain until free agency opens up on July 28th. Um, but other than that, there's a lot of questions here. So, um, Dirtbag, hit me with your takes, my man. I mean, let's just get it right off the bat here. Jack Campbell has earned the right to be the Toronto Maple Leaf starter going into next season. He he earned it uh, in the regular season when when Frederick Anderson uh, was um, you know rested for his injuries, and Jack Campbell earned it in the playoffs. Uh, regardless of how that series went, Jack Campbell was one of the best Maple Leafs on the ice. I still think he leads the NHL playoffs in goals against average with 1.81 against. Don't tell me that stuff, dude. And, and he's still, I believe, top three in save percentage. Oh, so, so Jack Campbell earned care. every dollar of that one point. What's, I think he's taken in 1.3 or 1.4. He's earned every dollar of it, and he's earned the right to be the starter next year. Whether or not Jack Campbell excels as a starter, um, we're going to find out. Uh, we're going to find that out very, very soon because the rigors of an 82 game season where you're traveling all over North America and Canada, um, it's, it's going to be a new ball game for a guy like Jack Campbell, who's never been a starter in a regular NHL season before. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be up to the Toronto Maple Leafs to get him 
a really, really good. I'm not even going to call him a backup. He's they're going to have to get him a very, very good partner in yeah. net because it's going to take two in Toronto next season to have any type of real success. It's going to take two goalies, not one. Hundred percent agree, bro. And uh, so, actually, that you kind of sort of answered my first question to you, which was, could Freddie be the backup? if he was able to, or if he was willing to uh, take a cheaper deal and a reduced role with the team. So maybe they say to Fred, we don't need you to start 65 games anymore, but we still do need you to start a reasonable amount, say 45 games. I mean, it depends on which direction the Toronto Maple Leafs want to go with addressing the one B goalie. If you want to go free agency, then you can look at Frederick Anderson and you can say, is this guy better than the options available to us via free agency? And it's I really going to come down to dollars too, right? Because hard cap. Um, if Anderson wants three or four million, but you could go and sign a guy like Chris Dreger, you know, three or something, you know, who who kind of wins out in that? We know what Frederick Anderson is. Mm-hmm. Um I think he's kind of worn himself out in this market just from my own opinion and from the opinions of other Leafs fans. Um, And I still think Frederick Anderson thinks he could be a starter somewhere. And I think Anderson has earned the right to go try to explore that. If he can go to another market and be a starter, then all the power to Freddie. But then the Leafs have to look at, well, what are our options at free agency? Is it a a Chris Dreger? Is it a um, reunion with James Reimer? Uh, or would they have to go trade? Uh, and I know, Mike, I know you've looked at kind of Leafs goalie trades mm-hmm. um, and who they could bring in to kind of um, augment Jack Campbell. Um, but I think, you know, you're probably going to get the better option at trades because the, the UFA goalie market is kind of dry this year. Well, okay. So the, the UFA goalie market is absolutely plentiful, but here's the situation. Tuka Rask. Who we got? I mean, Tuka Rask. Okay, go on. I got a list here. Tuka Rask. He's already stated Boston or retire. Okay, so that's one option. Go on. Pekarene. He's already stated Nashville or retire. Okay. Devin Dubnik. Absolutely Mm. no confidence, and he was a third string goalie in Colorado. Um, Anti Ranta. Mm. Good goalie. Riddled with injuries. And older. Yeah, well, he's, I think he's 32. 32. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, Philip Grubauer won't make it to UFA. And even if he does, he's going to want, you know, Jacob Markstrom money. Yeah. Um, but now you've got, you get into that next tier. And I think that's where Toronto may take a look at a couple of guys. And in my opinion, there's a couple of guys that could work, but that are very unlikely for the Leafs to get. Um, and I'll start with Peter Mrazek. So Peter Morazic made 3.25 million last year, put up a 2.06 goals against average and a 923 save percentage. Um, but he only played something like 12 games. Um, and then his playoff numbers are atrocious. Yeah, this is this is a gamble with a guy like Peter. Yeah. Like he's played 12 games and he had a bad playoffs. Like, like what are we doing here? Like it goes back to what we were saying, Mikey. It's like yeah. it's win now. You know, yeah. we can't be you know, doing science experiments with, with the goalies. I mean, no. you know, the guys you rattled off at the start are, were bonafide starters. Rask and Rene, I think are a little long in the tooth. Um, 
this is what I say. It's it's kind of a drier market for goalies. I mean, I'm looking at the list now. There's a couple, man. There's uh, Linus Olmark. That's two, the one that pops out for me, and I'm glad you brought six, him up. Yeah, 2.6 million last year. He put up a 263 goals against average and a 917 save percentage in Buffalo. Yeah, on a terrible team. I mean, if I'm Kyle Dubas, that's my A number one target. Maybe a so Linus Olmark. But it blows my mind because Allmark has already come out publicly and stated that he is entertaining the idea of re-upping on a long-term deal to stay in Buffalo. So maybe he sees something in some of the young guys coming up that we don't, but. I mean, um, he'd have to be insane because it looks like the writing's on the wall with Jack Eichel. I mean. Yeah. Uh, and this guy's already 28. Allmark's yeah. 28. Are you He's looking to win or what are you looking to do? I mean, I don't yeah. see Buffalo climbing the standings next year. No, and especially not with without Jack Eichel. And and let's say, for example, that they do trade Eichel and they make away like gangbusters in the deal. I don't know that the pieces coming back are going to have the same impact. Like, yeah, you might have more guys that you can spread over more lines, and you know maybe upgrade your defense a little bit in that trade, and you know improve marginally across the board but you're losing a game breaking player in the process so i think that's going to have a lot to do with why you know buffalo's going to be in for another you know conceivably four or five more years of absolute horrendous you know misfortune oh absolutely i mean it's it's back to square one with buffalo and if if the rumors about um ristolainen and reinhardt wanting out are true too then that just sets the sabers back even further and if you're Linus Olmark, what do you see in this team as a 28-year-old goalie that would make you want to re-sign their long-term? Yeah. Uh, I, that That's confusing to me. Yeah, things have, have certainly changed in Buffalo since he made those comments. So he could just have easily have, has, you know, he could have pivoted <laughs> on his decision for sure. But for sure. moving down the list, um, you brought him up already, um, Chris Drieger in mm-hmm. Florida. Um 950k last year like you said he's probably going to be making three 3.5 million um 2.06 goals against average and a 927 save percentage so if if i'm picking somebody from the ufa market uh if i'm kyle dubas i target trigger probably the most uh followed by allmark because of that you know potential i want to stay in buffalo thing who knows mm-hmm. and then the other two uh you and i have talked about in the past James Reimer and Jonathan Bernier, <laughs> pair of former Leafs. Um, neither of their tenures in Toronto ended with, uh, you know, with a respectful send off and, and happy memories. So those two guys, um, I know that when you and I had spoke about it uh, ad nauseum before, that those were the two guys in your mind. I'm curious if either one of those guys uh, still, you know, presents the best option from, from your perspective now. I mean, you know, we've talked about uh, Dreger and, and Olmark. I think we both agree those are one, two. And then if you yeah. think if you want to go for three, uh, I mean, I'm so loyal to James Reimer because I love him as a player and a person. But, I mean, stats dipped this year. Had a 906 save percentage, 2.66 goals against average in only 15 games. Bernier, on the other hand, uh, 914 save percentage. Um and playing for the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, <laughs> yeah. His 299, though. Oh, man. Oh, sorry. I made a mistake with uh, Reimer. He played 22 games, had 15 wins. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, 299 goals against average on, on Detroit, though. I mean, take that number with a grain of salt. He still had yeah. a 914 save percentage on a horrible team. Yeah, that's true. For sure, that's true. But yeah, so I mean, you see the layout of the UFA market and it's like there's no shortage of bodies. But if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're trying to contend, I don't know if any one of those guys comes in and makes the kind of impact um, you know, that gets you over the hump. Uh, I still do think in my heart of hearts that Fred, Freddie Anderson is probably out of the UFA class, the most viable option and the best option for Toronto because A, he's buddy was, buddies with Austin Matthews. B, he's familiar with the system. C, he has a good relationship with Jack Campbell. And D, he's a guy that I think has grown to love the city of Toronto. So, I mean, I, he's the guy for me if you take a UFA. And if it's not him, you go after Drieger or Allmark. But I'm not convinced that they, they would land either. And the problem that I have with the whole Freddie Anderson thing is I don't know if he's going to want a discount. And, and whether or not he wants to, to do the 1A, 1B thing is irrelevant. I think at this stage in his career, he's you know going to be 32 years old. I don't know a lot of teams that are going to go out and say, hey, you're our legitimate starter without having a, a decent quality backup that is probably going to start pretty close to 30 games. You know, especially given Fred's injuries this past year, I would imagine, and confidence issues, I would imagine that people aren't going to go out and, and look at Fred and be like, you're, you know, you're the guy that's going to take us to the promised land unless they have a one B option that they can roll to if they need to. I mean, like the more you talk about it, I mean, it, if you have Jack Campbell, who, who by all accounts look like a great goalie this year, but is also a fragile goalie. Yeah. And if you have Jack Campbell go down with another injury and the, you know, whether you're turning those reins over to Frederick Anderson or, or Chris, Drieger or James Reimer, whomever it is, whoever's coming in has to be willing and able to take on that starter's role because it may happen, yeah. may not happen, it may happen. Well, and that's um, the way I look at it too. I look at Freddie Anderson coming off of a $5 million deal. He's probably, if he goes to the open market, yeah, he might get six, but a lot of offers might be still in the five range due to COVID, right? And if he's going to leave to take five, would he just take 4.5 for, say, over three years to remain in Toronto and not have to uproot his life? I mean, if you're Frederick Anderson, you can even take a one-year deal, a prove-it deal. I mean, take a one-year cheap deal in Toronto, be the 1B or whatever it is, prove that that your struggles were due to your health, come back healthy, put up some great numbers, and then uh, next summer you can go sign a big-money contract because someone will pay it to you. but, you know, honestly, the, the ball is in Toronto Anderson's court if he wants to stay in Toronto. Maybe he's had enough of the pressure here. Maybe he thinks he can be a bona fide starter somewhere. But if he wants to stay, then I think he's probably the best option on, on the UFA market outside of maybe Allmark. Um, Are you trying to cast a spell on him? Like subliminally? Because <laughs> you called him Toronto Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Just casting a spell on him. Just suddenly yeah. sweeping Toronto into like every little comment. And then yeah. hopefully he hears it and he's like, yeah. oh, wait, wait a minute. Did yeah, subliminally influencing Anderson <laughs> to stay in Toronto yeah. for just one more year. Run it back with Freddie for one more year and then he can ride yeah. off. Unless you go out and trade for a goalie. Um, yes, I haven't sir. done too much research on potential goalies that could be acquired by trade. But I think you have if you want to touch on that quick. I have. Uh, so I'll fire off the names real quick. And then 
we'll do some, you know, a little bit of discussion on, on why, you know, each one could potentially be a viable addition. So Elvis Merzlikens out of Columbus, Alexander Georgiev out of New York, and interesting name, Ilya Samsonov out of Washington. So, um, obviously the name that is probably going to spark the most interest there and, you know, probably at the time that people are listening to this podcast are probably going, are you fucking nuts? Washington is not trading Ilya Samsonov. He's 24 years old. He's an RFA. He only made 925K last year. So if they elect to qualify him, it'll be a cheap deal. He was, uh, for, for me anyway, this is why I put him on the list. He was scratched twice this year. He had behavior issues that obviously the team didn't, you know, take too kindly to. They had benched him in the playoffs um, for, I think it was the first three games. I would have to go back and look, but they benched him in, in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's coming into the season. That was your starting goaltender for the Washington Capitals. So, I mean, yeah, his numbers weren't too fantastic, but he did deal with COVID and he did uh, sit out a few few different stretches there. So he put up a nine, uh, sorry, a 902 save percentage in 19 games and a 2.69 goals against average. So the numbers don't jump off the page. You know, a little bit of a down year, had some problems with coaching and management and was just benched in the playoffs. And you've got a guy in uh, uh, Wojtek Vanacek who's taking the reins over in DC and, you know, maybe Samsonov and his rep representation come out and say, trade us. You're obviously doing good, good enough without us. You can sit us for the, these long periods of time. You've got, you know, Craig Anderson backing up in, in Washington. And if, you know, he's a UFA as well. Um, you've got Hen- Henrik Lundqvist, who's already signed a one-year deal with you, but couldn't come back this year. He might re-up next year. Like you're good. Just trade me somewhere. So if that's a name that's available, um, I, in my opinion, I think he's a guy that you go target because we have seen the upside and we know how good he can be. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, Ilya Samsonov's, uh, he's still very young. He's only 24. He was a first round pick. So obviously the Capitals saw something in Samsonov that spoke to his talent, that they're willing to draft him first overall. He had sterling numbers in the KHL, um, had a pretty well, good their first pick, right? Not first overall though. First round pick, yeah, yeah. First round pick uh, had a good, had an okay first year in nineteen twenty, nine one three save percentage, twenty six games, and then last year he struggled nine oh two. But again, weird year with COVID, mm-hmm. struggles with management. But this guy obviously has a ton of potential and a ton of talent. Um, maybe a change of scenery is is what he could use, and maybe playing for a younger team, uh, maybe guys more his age. Um, there's a lot to work with here with Seb Sonov, but I think the Capitals would rather try to work through any issues uh, they have with Sam Sonov before they would trade a goalie that they used a first round pick on. I just can't see them moving on from him just yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most likely outcome I think is they just retain him and try to work through it all. Um, so Alexander Georgiev, uh, he was linked to Toronto a number of times when they were, you know, pursuing the the backup goalie market and he's a name that kind of stood out to me because the Rangers previously I mean it was the previous management regime regime 
but they came out and stated that next year they would make a choice between one of Alexander Georgiev or Igor Shishirkin. So um, I think we know who the number one guy in New York is, mm-hmm. which leaves <laughs> Georgiev on the outs and um, yeah, potentially available via trade. So he only makes 2.45 million for next, next season. And then he'll be, uh, I don't, I didn't take a look into this, whether or not he's an RFA or a UFA, but he's 25 years old, 2.71 goals against 905 save percentage in 19 starts. I would assume he'd be an RFA for one more year, but I could be wrong. Um, so, you know, the numbers don't really jump off the page in terms of, you know, here's a goalie that can come in and steal you a bunch of games, but still respectable numbers. And yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him or, or if you think he might be an option. I think he's automatically a more realistic option than Samsonov was. And, and Leaf Sands would be familiar with Gorg- Gorgiev. We've faced him before. Um, I recall one game against the Rangers where he just absolutely stonewalled us. And this was mm-hmm. in his rookie year, I like believe. 42 saves or something, I something believe. Something crazy like that. So this kid's got talent. I mean, you look at his first three years in the league, 918 save percentage, 914, down to 91 uh, save percentage this past, uh, or sorry, 905 this past year. But the Rangers weren't a great, great team. Uh, they weren't great defensively, and that impacts goalie stats. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Georgiev has it in him to be at very least a 1B goalie, if not a steady backup, and he's only 25 still. Um, and he could probably be had for a lot less than a guy like uh, Samsonov would be in terms of a return for the opposing for sure. team. And like you point. said, they, they got to choose either between Georgiev or Shosturkin, and I think Shosturkin is the, is the clear number one there, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to build around him. So that leaves a guy like Georgiev out. And for a young team like the Rangers to maybe recoup a young player in return uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I think they could be uh, cooperative trade partners. They have a goalie we want. We may have a younger player that they, that they would want for their even a draft pick rebuild, yeah. or a draft pick. Why not? Yeah. I uh, honestly, like I look at uh, a guy like Yorgiev and I think he probably is one of the more realistic options if we don't uh, get Freddie. And if we do elect to enter the trade market, um, the number one reason why I want him on our team is because he was rumored to have punched Anthony D'Angelo right in his <laughs> face. <laughs> so that right there so makes him that. invaluable. And uh, and yeah, so the the last name that I had uh, had listed here was Elvis Merzlikens. Um, now, from our past conversations, you will know that I am very high on this guy, and I think that if Toronto enters the trade market for a backup goalie this season or a one A one B. I think that Merzlikens is the top choice, at least from my perspective. He's 27 years old. He's on a uh, a one-year deal, one year remaining in his deal at $4 bucks, and he's going to provide you with quality backup goaltending. 2.77 goals against average, 9.16 on a shitty Columbus Blue Jackets team this year. Um, and then you go into last year when they were a little better, and he's posted a 2.35 goals against average, a 9.23 save percentage in 33 starts. So for me, I look at a guy like that. If he's capable of doing that in Columbus, and you know Toronto is obviously a, a more offensive team, maybe not as as defensively uh, adept as as Columbus was during his 2019-20 season. Um, the numbers may be a little bit off, but he is going to give you quality goaltending every every time you put him in. So, 
So from from my perspective, that's the guy. What are your thoughts? The thing with Merzlikas is this is where the gamble comes in because you're you're bringing in an older goalie with more experience, which are both assets. Um, but like you said, he's got one year left at four million, and then he's a UFA. Um, mm-hmm. And then Jack Campbell's going to be a UFA as well, so they're going to be up at the same time. You're going to have to completely maybe revamp your goaltending. So where I kind of go back to Georgiev is he's an RFA after this year, so you at least retain some control. And Georgiev's also, he's only 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, younger goalie, um, RFA status, uh, you can hand the reins over to him maybe if it's time for Campbell to go after next year. But if you're bringing in Merzlinkas, Merzlinkins, then... Merzlinkins. Um, you got to say it right, man. He's going to win 20 games for us next year. You got to say it right. <laughs> Merzlinkins. <laughs> if you bring him in, then again, that's that's a gamble because if he comes in and does well, um, and he's, and he goes to UFA, you're gonna have to try to re-sign him. Um, yeah. and you got to figure out, well, now I got Campbell and Merzlikens UFA. What are we going to do with our goaltending? Um, uh, but yeah. of the names that you've listed of Samsonov, <laughs> Georgiev and, and Merzlikens, um, for next season, I think Merzlikens would be the best option. Um, I think he's the most seasoned of the three players you've named. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he would augment, Jack Campbell well and if something were to happen to Jack Campbell I, I wouldn't feel as stressed handing over the starting role uh, to Elvis Merzlikens so is there a but coming here because I uh, thought you were going to say but no I mean there's there's yeah. I mean whoever they bring in to be the backup whether it's Anderson or Dreger Merzlikens or whoever it is it's, the Leafs are still going to more or less um, rise and fall with Jack Campbell I mean, yeah. we have to see if this guy's a real starting goalie because he looked like it this year. Um, he had confidence issues at one point. Um, overcame them. But he overcame bad. them. But yeah. you also have to remember now he's going to be playing tougher teams. You don't get to go out and play, you know, Edmonton and Ottawa and Vancouver every night. I mean, now you got to go up against Boston, Tampa Bay. Um, interdivisional games are back. So you're, you're, you could be going up against the Vegas's of the world, the, the, the avalanche, yeah. you know, can, can Jack Campbell serve? Could Jack Campbell excel facing much tougher competition um, over the course I'll, of a full season? Not a I'll short say season. this. I'll say this. He put up monster numbers against the juggernaut Montreal Canadians in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if we're going, if we're going by that rationale, Habs fans pointing at you, uh, then I think he'll be fine. And, and I want to throw another one out hit, out here at you because as I was uh, as we were going through this list, another guy stood out because, and this would be absolutely wild if it happened. Um, Anaheim has Dostal coming in, and he's supposed to be the next like the the next big goalie in Anaheim. And that basically leaves John Gibson as, you know, potentially being phased out. Now, I don't think that the Ducks would trade Gibson right away because they're going to want to get Dostal in some action with Gibson still around and maybe to have him pick up on some stuff from, from the veteran. But on the off chance that Dallas, or sorry, Dallas, that the Ducks would consider a deal for John Gibson... Do you think the Leafs might take a take a longer look there? I mean, John John Gibson 
was basically the only respectable player on the Anaheim Ducks for years. Yeah. Uh, he's putting up Vesna numbers with them. Uh, not so much in the last three years, though. I mean, you can go look at his stats for the last three years. 903, 904, 917. So Gibson started to slow down a bit. Um, he hasn't really been able to carry the Ducks for as bad as they are uh, like he used to. But mm. you know, he's not a fossil. He's only 27. Um, and I think if I'm John Gibson, I, I've been on a rebuilding team my whole career. Yeah, like he just um, reeks of He had one point. good year. In, in 2016-17, the, the Ducks went on a little run in the playoffs. They, they yeah. played 16 games, but the Ducks are what they are now. Gibson might be looking at his career and saying, well, maybe I'd like to go play for a – I'm not going to call the Leafs a contender anymore, but um, a playoff team. And I think the Leafs and Ducks have made trades in the past before, so they're no strangers like to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I look at it and say, you know, if Gibson does maybe want to win a cup in his career and he wants to do it while he's relatively, you know, still in, in a decent age range, like he's not going to want to, I think he kind of wants to be one of the key guys in that run and maybe not later in his career as a backup. I don't really think it matters too much to guys, I guess. If you get a cup, you get a cup, but I think he'd maybe appreciate it a little more if he was one of the key guys relied upon to get there. But, uh, but yeah. I just thought I'd throw that one out there just kind of as a shot out of left field there, shot out of a cannon. Yeah. I mean, hey, I don't think any Leafs fan would have a problem with bringing in John Gibson. <laughs> no. I don't know what we would have to give up to bring him in, though. That's the other thing. Ah, be a lot. I don't know. Nick Robertson, send the California kid home. I don't know. Just yeah. I wouldn't do that trade personally, but who would the Ducks covet? It would be Robertson for plus for sure, just based on what Gibson is to that team, but. Well, yeah, I mean, no, a discussion I for another day, John Gibson. We will see. Yeah. All right, man. I guess on that note, we'll wrap it up. Is there any Connor McDavid lines you want to want to hit us with, or <laughs> <laughs> for those who maybe you have missed episode one, <laughs> we went to go sign off, and then Dirtbag went on a little bit of a tangent at the end of it, where he brought up Connor McDavid signing in Toronto. It was a blast. Go check it out. I mean, look, if you're going to bring in Matthew Kachuk, um, how's Connor McDavid going to feel about that divisional oh. Alberta rival? I mean, <laughs> how would you feel? Oh, man. So no, if you sign is- Matthew Kachuk, you may be uh, poisoning McDavid that well. Life. Yeah, poisoning that well to, to bring McDavid in. Yeah, man. All right, Leafs Nation. On that, we'll wrap it up for today. Shout out again to our uh, our sponsor, Hooligan Fuel Hot Sauce. Uh, check them out at hooliganfuel.com, facebook.com slash hooliganfuel, and Instagram at hooliganfuel hot sauce, all one word. Um, as far as we go, um, we'll be shooting another episode next week, um, entertaining, entertaining the idea of uh, having a, a guest on as well. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, but uh, for us, take a look for our uh, social media links in the description. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week. Dear bag. Yeah, thanks guys for tuning in to episode two of Leafs or Bust. Uh, make sure to check out our sponsor, Hooligan Fuel Hot Sauce. Check us out on social media at Leafs or Bust Podcast on Twitter. And my account is at dirtbag underscore daddy. D-A-D-D-I. Uh, and, and yeah, that's it. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, for any Euro Cup uh, followers, um, go Italy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ciao for now, guys. Ciao for now, guys.